Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First of all, you'll be hearing from the new president and CEO of the Ministry of Family Life, David Robbins, who offers some comments relative to his new position. Then, after a career in law enforcement, former Dothan, Alabama police officer Adam Davis is involved in writing and speaking. He's written a new devotional book that explores issues relative to those in law enforcement that could apply in a number of situations. Plus, you may be facing some money decisions during the summer months, including seasonal travel plans. The money couple, Scott and Bethany Palmer, help navigate some of those financial challenges. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, with some perspective on personal holiness, it's author and speaker Ginger Harrington, who relates how that is developed in the moments of our lives. Plus, Mark Hancock of Trail Life USA visited with me recently and shared comments about the removal of the term boy from the name of the Boy Scouts of America and highlighted how Trail Life offers a Christian-based scouting adventure program. Finally, it's filmmaker Michael Seibel. He's been involved in a number of Christian films. He discussed his unique approach to his most recent work, a pro-life film that incorporates elements of a supernatural thriller. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. The Ministry of Family Life, which includes radio, conferences, and group studies, has named a new president and CEO. His name is David Robbins, and he talked with me recently about his new position as he walks with Dennis Rainey and the ministry team in bringing quality resources to families. This is David Robbins now. For me, yeah, it is obviously an amazing, humbling thing to step in behind Dennis Rainey. And uh, he, you know, what's amazing about Dennis and Barbara, they really wanted to pass this thing on to the next generation and and not drag out in his own words you know he said look i see leaders sometimes stay around too long and it's really important to get that fresh energy and people who know the cutting edge things around the next generation and he has the biggest passion as ever for marriages and families and certainly marriages and families of the next generation and that's why he initiated this process and um, why we are here and so um, he's been so great as mentored me through this process and we had three months of meeting weekly and then we still connect now that we're here but his main emphasis now is hosting family life today radio show and i'm now taking over the operations of the day-to-day of family life awesome and you moved to little rock arkansas from new york city how much of a culture shock was that (laughs) <laughs> you know, we there has been there are great differences. Uh, uh, Grace says Meg and I are actually from the South, so I'm from Mississippi. She's from Memphis, Tennessee. We love New York City. Uh, we thrived there. We actually loved the diversity and the way it stretched you, and the way uh, you had to really think about how to articulate your faith as you had conversations, spiritual conversations with people. Uh, but it was also there that we gained a heart for marriages and families. We continued to see how. Uh, you know, not many people would come to church with us that we were building friendships with. That was just not their first step. But they would sit in our living room or around our dining room table, and they would talk about issues that surface in their marriage or challenges in raising their kids. And we found ourselves, even though we were working with 20-somethings, recent graduates in New York City, we found ourselves with our peers constantly talking about marriages and families. And we just continue to see how the Christian worldview uh, you know, is still relevant and still there's areas of sacredness to marriage and family that uh, it's a great pathway for the gospel. And here we are. And it is certainly different. Our lives are totally different than it was. Obviously, being a CEO is very different than leading in a city and a ministry in the city of direct ministry. 
but uh, it's a blast to be here. Well, and you talk about ministering to millennials. That's where a lot of your concentration was there in New York City. You also mentioned that Dennis Rainey really has a heart to reach the next generation. So talk about what you've observed about the mindset of this next generation, the millennial generation, and and even, well, I, I guess the, the Generation Z is still a little bit young for that, but but especially the millennials and, and those maybe a little bit older, the, the attitudes towards marriage that you're running up against. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Gen Z is going to be even a more interesting conversation, <laughs> yep. I believe. Uh, and there's there's things forming there. But with millennials, while most of society has been busy hating on them, they've been busy growing up. And now they are settling down. Um, they are getting married later. And so they are beginning to settle down. There's a lot more cohabitation going and partnerships with kids involved. And so all those trends that, you know, you've heard are true. But I, I think one of the things that is the opportunity, it's almost like there many millennials are wanting a vision of, okay, why choose the covenant. You know, why mm-hmm. choose the covenant of marriage when this is just accepted? 52% of millennials believe that cohabitation is equally as solid a footing as the as the institution of marriage. But there but in a paradox, that same study from Pew Research says that um 86% don't believe marriage is an outdated institution. So there's that there's an interesting opportunity there where they're not putting the marriage aside. It's almost like they're they're asking People like family life and all believers everywhere, I think, to make a case for why should I choose the covenant when um, what's the benefit of it? And I think that's the opportunity to shape culture with this generation. But their starting places are just really different. And I think that's one of the biggest things to adapt to is for us to be aware of are the assumptions we are coming in with around biblical literacy or words we use, et cetera, and make sure that we talk like real people and actually understand where they're starting from as we seek to journey with the next generation toward surrendering their lives to Jesus and and hopefully surrendering to him in marriage and family. David Robbins here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website familylife.com. Next up, it's former Dothan, Alabama police officer Adam Davis. In a recent conversation with me, he discussed his law enforcement experience, how he allowed God to take control of his life, and circumstances leading up to his first book. He shared about content in his third book called Behind the Badge, 365 Daily Devotions for Law Enforcement. This is Adam Davis now. After that you know, experience where I totally surrendered, um, I, you know, I began to write just uh i wasn't writing for anybody to read it it was really therapeutic it was a way to um that i was just kind of dumping all the stuff i was seeing and dealing with during the day and you know i know that doesn't sound very masculine but i was writing and i was i was getting rid of all this stuff and and one day i come home and there's just so much negativity and so much stuff in the media going on and hate about cops and law enforcement and this that just totally totally uh, overwhelmed with the, the negative media. And I was complaining, like I was walking around kind of praying to God and I was complaining about it. And, and I felt a conviction in me that said, you know, if you're going to complain to me about it, I want you to do something. And here's what I want you to do. And I said, well, uh, I think you've stopped by the wrong house because I'm not an author and I'm not a chaplain. (laughs) I don't have a PhD. Uh, I've not been doing this 30 years. You've got the wrong guy. Nobody's going to listen to me. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> and so I kind of argued with God and debated with him that you've got the wrong person for the job. And and um, 
you know, it kind of, I've learned that you just don't wrestle with God. It took me a while to learn that because I'm a little hard-headed. But I learned that you don't wrestle with him. If he tells you to do something, do it, because radical obedience produces great, great reward and honor. And and uh, so I wrote it. It was strictly out of obedience, not because I felt like I was credible or had all these life lessons. It was totally out of obedience to the to God. And, uh, man, I started getting testimonies back from law enforcement officers and South Carolina and California and Texas and Florida, and um, I realized that I was onto something, that God was really leading me down a path that I never dreamed of. And then one day I got a call from my publisher that said, hey, have you submitted a manuscript to us? Um, we need to talk. And I did not expect that. I had been rejected so many times I'd given up on being published in a big way, and uh, now here we are with Behind the Badge and three more books coming out. <laughs> it's funny what a step of obedience produces. No doubt. Well, tell me about the concept of Behind <laughs> the Badge. Obviously, it's a devotional book. What did you want to accomplish with it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, police officers have a lot of gear, obviously. If you've ever seen them, you know that they're duty belts. Uh, they have a lot of gear, a lot of tools there to use for different situations, and they have uh, bulletproof armor and and all these tools, everything around them is, is something they can use in different scenarios. And um, and there's a lot of training on mentality, on mindset, on, on, on how to respond. But there's, you know, there was really not a, a lot of resources out there for for the heart, for the soul of man to deal with the, the, the faith element, uh, to kind of in, in, uh, strengthen that walk with Christ and and. This does for the body or for the heart and for the soul of man what Kevlar, what bulletproof armor does for the body. And this is a daily spark to help grow and strengthen that relationship with Christ. It's written in a way that a law enforcement officer will understand. They're going to get it. They're going to see the Word of God applied to their life where they're at and amplified in a way that is going to really propel them to a closer walk in, in, a, in a growing faith. Um, in Christ and, and really create a hunger for the Word of God, create an appetite for His Word, uh, and that's going to absolutely change lives across the country. And uh, It's a daily short read that has a devotion, a prayer, and Scripture, and it's written in a way that, that everybody can understand. And it's not preachy. It's to the point. Um, law enforcement officers don't have a lot of time. It's, it's written for law enforcement officers, but I believe anybody can get a copy and read it, and they'll get something tremendous out of it. Adam Davis here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website, theadamdavis.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Scott and Bethany Palmer, known as The Money Couple. They've authored several books, including The Five Money Personalities. In a recent discussion, they talked about a variety of topics, including approaching summer vacation. From that recent conversation, here are Scott and Bethany Palmer. Well, you know, we start and we do plan because when you do talk about any kind of vacation, there's a money component to it. So really talking it out instead of just... Um, Flying by the seat of your pants when it comes to a vacation is an important thing. So we think of it as in three buckets. First of all, we do a big vacation. So planning for that. And then secondly, what we do is we plan for our slower vacations, you know, taking a day trip. We take three to four day trip 
uh, vacations a year that just gets us out of the city and mm. gets us looking at nature and, and so on and so forth. And then we also plan our what we call our staycations. So usually for spring break, for fall break, we usually do what we call a staycation. And so we plan for that as well. So kind of three buckets of vacation, and that makes it easy for us and makes it easy for us to plan and talk about it and uh, put some dollars, uh, tag some dollar, dollars along with it. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think for Bethany and I, because we definitely view, like most couples do, vacations a little differently, uh, everybody has say. And everybody definitely has the um, opportunity to say, hey, this is what I'd really like to do. This is what I'd really like to do. So even with our kids, we incorporate, you know, especially when we're talking about maybe the staycation or um, those day trips that we do. You know, my youngest son loves basketball. So going and seeing the Lakers play, even though we live in Colorado, <laughs> thank God they play the Nuggets. So we'll go. And uh, one of his big things in the year is to go watch the Lakers pound the Nuggets. And so that's part of our staycation. And he gets to speak into that. And then when it comes to our big vacation that we're about to do, um, you know, mom and I get a couple things that we want on our to-do list on, the, on that fun vacation. And, and so do the boys. So, like, for instance, we're going to Branson in a couple of weeks, and we each have one or two things that we love to do in Branson. And everybody gets to speak into that. So not only figuring out the money side, but just making sure that everybody's voice is heard. We didn't always do it like that. I was kind of the vacation guy and planner until I found out that they don't always like doing the stuff I like to do. So <laughs> that's how we do it now. And it's a great opportunity to use to teach your kids about money. You know, Absolutely. we... Um, tell them, you know, you can pick one activity, but you need to do the research. How are we going to pay for it? Can we pay for it before? Can we pay? Do we pay for it when we get there? How does that work? And um, so it's just a wonderful opportunity. Also, we give our kids an allowance um, for the trip, and that's what they get, their ex extras, all those extras. So one of our child children, uh, he spends it all on the first two days. The other child has money left over. So, you know, it's just a really great way to to teach your kids about money at a fun time. Well, and obviously the two of you approach these financial matters from a biblical point of view, and it's a great opportunity, obviously, to not only teach about actually staying on a, a budget or a, a play, you know, a financial plan, but also not spend more than you have. And so as you, you talk about your approach to to debt, what are some principles that people can keep in mind, not just during vacation season, but just year-round? Well, you know, we always start, especially because our specialty is with couples. You have to come to an agreement on debt. I mean, what we hear so many times, and I know you've run into this too, is that we'll have a couple and they'll get out of debt, and then two or three years later, they're back in debt. And they're like, how did that happen? How did we get back into debt? Well, you got back into debt because you both weren't on the same page about how to get out of debt and how to stay out of debt. What we think is that often, you know, when we pay our house off or when we get 100% debt free, that the skies open up and we're just going to agree about money as, a spouse, as spouses. That's absolutely not the truth. The Lord knew this was going to be a struggle for us. There's 2,500 verses in the Bible about money. It's more than prayer and love combined. Two-thirds of all the parables in the New Testament had a money component wrapped up into them. So the Lord and Jesus, they knew this was going to be a struggle for individuals, for couples, and for families. And so what we say about debt, is getting out of debt important? Absolutely. 
Is staying out of debt important? Absolutely. But you're never going to get there, and it's going to take you forever unless you've sat down as a couple and you've learned to compromise to make sure both of your needs are being met and that you're getting that to that goal together. If one of you is always pushing the cart or pulling that debt cart and the other one is off in a field smelling flowers, you're never going to get to where you want to be. Scott and Bethany Palmer here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to themoneycouple.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more at meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The Intersection Podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. You can find out more by going to faithradio.org. Also, when you visit the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter at Access the Meeting House Facebook page. You can also get connected to video content Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, and you can reach the Meeting House homepage through faithradio.org. Scroll over the programming section. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast with author and speaker Ginger Harrington. She's also the founder of the ministry Planting Roots, Strength to Thrive in Military Life. In our recent conversation, she shared perspective of personal holiness as she highlights in the book Holy in the Moment, Simple Ways to Love God and Enjoy Your Life. This is Ginger Harrington now. God brought this topic to mind in a really practical way, and that was in dealing with struggles I was experiencing. And sometimes we don't really equate holiness with solving problems that we're experiencing, but God is a very practical God, and He is interested in meeting us in our struggles, in our moments. And so I was struggling with a lack of direction as we were making a transition out of the military and didn't, you know, my entire married life, 24 years, was involved with that and, you know, kind of what's next? And um, I was just asking the Lord, Lord, what do I do this year? How do we tackle this year and move forward, even though I don't know where I'm going or what we're doing? And he just kept put this question, just dropped it in my mind in this crystal clear thought. And it was, if we choose holiness in this moment, what difference will it make? You know, just making those choices every single day, one choice at a time. And so I've just been, you know, kind of growing in that for the last several years. And now we have a book. And I wanted you to elaborate just a bit when we talk about moment by moment evaluating that question about holiness in the moment. What difference is it making in this moment right now? I guess you would say stopping and thinking. How can we condition ourselves to to actually do that? And when we think about moment by moment holiness, what does that really mean or look like? You know, that is a great question. And I think think one of the things that we have to do is identify the myths that we have believed about holiness and like the cultural myths that we might have or just the preconceptions that holiness is for the spiritual supergiants who can jump over buildings in a single bound and move mountains with a just a word and we think of monks and we think of high formal church concepts a lot of times we don't equate 
holiness with practical living and really walking practically how do we walk in the spirit rather than in the flesh and in reality that's what this book is about is making those choices to choose to trust god and to rely on christ in the moment because the last moment's past history and the next moment hasn't come yet so this moment's really the only one that i can really do something productive with and uh i think it's interesting you know god's one of his names he says is i am i am present mm. And really learning to choose that moment by moment to be aware and just choose to trust God in those moments really unlocks some of those areas of our lives where we keep getting stuck in old patterns or the flesh or lies we've believed or behaviors that aren't holy. And so it's in the moment where you make those choices. And you actually, as I understand it, in the book, in the structure of it, you categorize these different types of moments. Please share some examples, if you would. Well, some of those moments are in our spiritual life, and the first section of the book has to do with our relationship with God, and and what does it look like to love God, to make those choices to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so that those um, chapters be- have to do with making the choice to believe in the moment, you know, now faith. Um, they have to do with abiding, making the choices to be attentive and rest in Christ in the moment, choices to surrender and release our rights. One of the rights I had to give up was the uh, preconceived notion that if we retired from the military, we weren't going to move anymore. And um, so giving up our rights and and trusting God with that is something, uh, it's a holy choice that we make in the moment. Other kinds of moments are in our internal life, um, kind of our soul life, our thoughts and our feelings, how we respond to the world. Um, They have to do with what motivates us to obey and whether or not we're listening to God or just rambling on ourselves. And then the final section of the book is enjoying life. And that is the outward part of choosing holiness in the moment, the benefit of choosing to trust God in the moment. We experience that with good attitudes. Um, When we're making holy choices, it's going to change how we see life, and that's going to change our attitudes. It's going to change our relationships, impact our our family, family relationships, our friends, as well as our work. And so all of those are some of the different chapters that are in this book. Ginger Harrington here on The Intersection. The website address is gingerharrington.com. This is The Intersection Podcast with Mark Hancock, CEO of the Christian-based scouting organization Trail Life USA. He related comments about the elimination of the word boy from the name of the Boy Scouts of America and shared information about aspects of his organization. From that recent conversation, this is Mark Hancock. As you know, over the last five years, the Boy Scouts seem to have exhibited a willingness to kind of abandon their their historic and tested principles and traditions. And this is just one more step down that way that that really uh, led us to begin Trail Life USA in, in 2014. And it's really to provide a boy-focused, Christ-centered opportunity for character, leadership, and outdoor adventure for, for boys. We're in 48 states now, coming up in 27,000 members. So we've seen some, some pretty tremendous growth in that short period of time. And we think it's because people know that boys and girls are different. And to take an organization like Boy Scouts for 108 years has given us presidents and senators and generals and, and community leaders, for them suddenly to say, that boys and girls aren't different, that we can deliver the same program to 
to boys and girls, we, we think it's dangerous. We think the message that they're sending to boys and girls uh, is, is not a good one. We, we think that, that girls and boys are better served in an environment that recognizes their unique learning styles. I mean, you know, I realize it's a general statement and that there's certainly exceptions, but for the most part, every field of science and every psychology, field of psychology recognizes that there are significant differences between boys and girls. So why do we feel like we need to fight that and make one size fit all? Now we, well, we think it's offensive to boys and girls. We think it's unfair. We don't think it's good for them. Any engaged parent, any aware teacher knows that boys and girls are different. So we recognize that in Trail Up USA. We make sure we are providing a boy-focused, Christ-centered experience for them to grow into godly men, godly husbands, godly citizens. Well, Mark, I know that throughout the years, in fact, when I was in Boy Scouting, the the church that my family attended was the sponsor of the Scout Troop. We have a number of churches that have sponsored troops throughout the years. What have you heard from churches with respect to their response to these changes in the perspective of the Boy Scouts of America and also their transitioning into actually being a host site for Trail Life USA? Well, it's interesting because about half of our troops were formerly Boy Scout troops. And those churches that have moved over are loving the fact that they can be free in the expression of their Christianity. They don't have to worry about, about offending anybody because it's clear that we are a Christian program. And they're also finding that it's growing a lot more um, because people are attracted to the Christ-centered boy focus. And uh, so uh, troops that may have been around for a long time are seeing a refreshed energy. They're seeing a, a closer connection with the church. One of the mistakes we, we believe the Boy Scouts made over time is they lost that connection between the troop in the local church. That troop was just maybe meeting in the basement on a Tuesday night. But with Trail Life USA, we connect with every pastor, the institutional head of that church, and we, we have a conversation with them to make sure that we are aligned in our values. And he appoints, or he serves as himself as the charter organizational rep, so that that church has a direct connection to the troop. That COR, the charter organizational rep, communicates to the troop about the activities of the church and, and from the troop back to the church, so that there's that close bond because we consider ourselves an outreach of the local church. And the other interesting thing is these other troops that were not previously Boy Scout troops, for 108 years, they, these are churches that never committed to Boy Scouts. But Trail Life came along and they said, oh, this is something we can do. This is something we, we, want, we want to do. And they're converting their youth programs over into becoming Trail Life programs. They're reaching out in the community. You can invite a boy to Sunday school uh, all day long, and he may or may not come. But you invite him on a camping trip or hiking or whitewater rafting or zip lining, that boy shows up, and that unchurched boy joins the troop, and then the unchurched family joins the church. The churches are seeing growth when they start trail life troops because they're able to, to get out in the community in a way they weren't getting out before. Mark Hancock here on The Intersection. Learn more at traillifeusa.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's the co-producer, writer, and director of the film Wraith. Michael Seibel. He discussed the concept of the movie and his approach to the pro-life material that is presented in it. Here now from that conversation is Michael Seibel. Well, we had a distributor tell us at a film festival, look, if you can't spell it and people don't know what it means, you're doomed. And, uh, and, and But uh, if you're from England, uh, Rolls-Royce, uh, the car, has a model called the Wraith, and uh, they name a lot of their cars after ghosts. And a wraith is a spirit that appears just after or shortly before its death. 
And um, so it, it's, uh, I'd like to blame it on the American education system if people don't know what it means, but it's probably my fault as well. But it is a, it's about a spirit. That's uh, the best definition of race. And if people are familiar with the Tolkien Lord of the Rings series, you have some wraiths that are there. So that might be a, a bit of a connection there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any any way we can uh, do that. And uh, I uh, really uh, am, I've always been enchanted with the word. And uh, when this story took shape, uh the definition that I that I just used that it it's, it's a wisp or a trace or a, a, an element something visual perhaps that uh, shows up uh, right around the time of its death that really helped me form the plot of the film. We want to say here at the beginning, you know, if people are hearing us talking about spirits and such, it is described as a supernatural thriller, but it's also a film that has a significant pro-life message so are we would this be considered to be a a horror film that sort of genre or maybe stopping a little bit short of really being full bore as a as a horror flick yeah it's, it's not a horror flick uh in fact we had some people who are very hard r-rated type horror fans attend the film when it came out in theaters and i don't think they were that satisfied but people with a biblical worldview immediately recognized the film for what it was, and that is an allegory. Just like, you know, you've got the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, you've got uh, uh, the lion. I mean, what does the lion represent? And so we can use allegory, we can use metaphor, we can use various, um, you know, devices when we're telling stories and we want to get across a particular message. And uh, so, yeah. Uh, in fact, when I was trying to raise the money for this film, um, one of my investors called me up and said, Michael, uh, is this a horror film? And <laughs> I, I said, no, no, it's a scary movie. <laughs> so uh, then I, uh, but really as I started researching the subject and writing it and applying a biblical worldview to it, I, I realized it is more of a supernatural thriller. You basically have a family, and there are some troubling events that are taking place here. Tell me just a bit, set this up for us with respect to the plot of the film. Well, you got a family that's lived in an old mansion for about 10 years, and uh, they, the, except for maintenance problems, they, they haven't really uh, encountered anything supernatural other than leaky pipes and a few things like that. But they have a 13-year-old daughter, and uh, uh, one day, uh, a spirit, uh, if you will, starts to want to communicate with them. And they, uh, th you know, they really don't know what to do about that. At, at the same time, you've got a, uh, the mother who is uh, well into um, uh, her 40s discovering that she's uh, pregnant and uh, an unplanned, you might say, pregnancy. And so there, uh, while everyone is dealing with their own version of a crisis in this film, the, the daughter's kind of lonely, the husband is un, unemployed and looking for work, uh, although he's a professional, and the mother isn't uh, a writer, uh, they, they all uh, have their various uh, issues. And it turns out that uh, the spirit that appears 
is uh, which they might at first think is antagonistic, is actually trying to help them all out. And um, so that, that, that's about as much of the plot as I want to reveal. You know, right. there are some movies where you could kind of give away the plot. Like if, if you were going to Titanic and I said, you know, Bob, the boat sinks, um, you know, I, I would be giving away a little bit, but you probably knew that already. Uh, and but in this film, uh, really what how it ends is is more or less how all the plot comes together in the scene. Michael Seibel here on The Intersection. The website is Wraith, W-R-A-I-T-H, themovie.com. We're nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more at meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on The Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. You can find The Intersection podcast through the Faith Radio app as well. Learn about downloading the app for your smartphone or tablet by going to faithradio.org. Also at the Meeting House homepage, there are links to two blogs. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page, and you can get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.